As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football League show. A good midweek for Blackburn Forest and Coventry and a happy Burns night for Wes and his Ipswich friends. We ask where next for Grant McCann, ponder who's moved where and why and look ahead to the weekend. The top two in League Two. Will it be 2-2? Bringing up our half century for the season. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Welcome in then, listener. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, here with you to talk through the latest in the EFL alongside the tactical analyst and commentator, Adrian Clark. Hello, Matt. Uh, also with us is Nancy Frostick, the athletics EFL expert, and also, Nancy, from your Twitter bio, a Taylor Swift fan. So I've got to uh, ask you what you made of her spat with Damon Albarn yesterday. Oh, well, I think she uh, won that one hands down, didn't she? Dragged him through the mud. No, no. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I'm biased, obviously. So, you know, I think she did um, as nice a Twitter takedown as you can do there. Yeah, and Damon Albarn did the classic thing of blame it on the journalist, which I'm sure we've all been a part of at some part in our career. Uh, All right, we're going to start with a look back at the midweek action in the EFL. And the most recent of it came at the Hawthorns, West Brom nil, Preston 2. Forward into the penalty area and it's a good save and it's headed in. And it's a goal on debut for Cameron Archer. Nancy, the BBC Sport website says this result dented Albion's automatic promotion chances. Are any of us actually thinking that they're still in the conversation for that? Um, No, I can't say I've thought about them in in those terms for a a while. And I don't know if that's necessarily just because of the results, but it just seems like, you know, the whole fan base is very unhappy. And, you know, it seems like there's a lot of stuff going on, which... I'm not saying you can't have that going on and still be in contention for automatic promotion, but I suppose, you know, you just kind of associate stability and everyone being harmonious with being kind of at the top of the league. So, yeah, I, I don't really see them necessarily in the, in that conversation at the moment unless they suddenly sort themselves out. But DK's just got injured, so that's a problem. Yeah, that's massive, isn't it, Clarkie? Two months out for him after they spent all that money on him earlier this month. That That's the kind of thing that happens to teams who kind of stumble their way to disappointing finishes. It's a hammer blow. It really is. Yeah, as Nancy says, it's just not a happy ship at the moment. Really toxic atmosphere at the Hawthorns. 
in the match against Preston, and that's not the first time. Loads of empty seats. The Albion fans are, are turned off, aren't they, by by what they're seeing? And they've lost the guy that they signed to, to get them up. So, yeah, it's not looking good. That said, they've only conceded eight goals in their last 12 matches. Only scored eight, but they've only conceded eight. So if they were to sort, sort themselves out at the top end of the pitch, it, you, you would be foolish to write them off completely. But, yeah, what do they do now? I think they have to go back into the market. Teams will try and rip them off because they know they're desperate. And they will also... you know, and. and is the right fit available because it's a very specific style of striker I think that Valerian Ismail is is after and there aren't bundles of those around are there? We should give some props to Preston as well it looks like there'll be a team to watch under Ryan Lowe uh, next season away back on Monday night Blackburn beat Middlesbrough by a goal to nil to move up to second at Bournemouth's expense no Ben Brereton Diaz no problem for them here Sam Gallagher stepped in and got the goal. I say stepped in, he's been playing all season, Nancy, but is he just the Andrew Ridgely to, to BBD's George <laughs> Michael or, or have we just not been paying him any attention because what have his mates been, what his mates been doing? Yeah, um, it is a funny one, isn't it? It must be like just being in it, not in his shadow because, you know, that, that's probably not the right thing to say, but obviously we, we've all just spoken about uh, Ben Veriton Diaz so much that, yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, I really like Sam Gallagher and, Possibly already well known. I'm a Southampton fan, so like when he left us, I was a bit perplexed because I I didn't feel like we ever really gave him a proper crack. And then obviously, you know, he's he's playing I think quite an important role for for Blackburn because if you have got a player like Brereton Diaz who's such a focal point and everyone's you know making such a a noise about him, then you still need that supporting cast and and he's more than sort of stepping in in that respect. So yeah, that. A good win as well against Borough, I think. Like, I, I expect them to be in the conversation at the end of the season. Playoffs, for sure, minimum, just because Chris Wilder's done a really good job. So, yeah, they're flying. Yeah, going to be interesting to see how they respond, Adrian, isn't it? First defeat in nine. They got Coventry at the weekend. It, it took him a while to get his feet under the table, but they've just been used to winning every week. So, yeah, we'll interested to see what happens on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's it'd be fascinating to see whether they... Uh, let this poor performance derail their season. Hopefully it won't. But I know that Chris Wilder sort of got stuck into them after the game. He did the classic that managers often do. Relatively new managers that 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 come to the end of that new manager bounce. They always say the same thing. I've learned a lot about my players tonight. It, you know, in, in terms of I've learned a lot of bad stuff about the players. And I can see why... They were in a bit of a pickle before I came. So he's done that classic. Will, will the Borough players respond in, in the right way or not? I think in this game, it was, it was a bad game. Really attritional. Not much, not as much quality as you would have expected given that they're two excellent championship teams. But for Borough, the problem really, I think, was up front. They, no, nothing stuck with, with Connolly or Spora. Uh, the the big sort of bruising Blackburn defenders dominated them, and and that's a bit of an issue. So, what are they going to do about that? I mean, they they have got a lot of options now. Um, I'd love to see, obviously, following Balogun get his first start maybe at the weekend. He's not the biggest, but he can hold the ball up, and I, I think he deserves deserves an opportunity. Also, 
Duncan Watmore sort of there's no obvious position for Duncan Watmore in the in the three five two setup. I think he kind of has to be a striker, but but yeah, I'm not entirely sure what his best best role is. But I think yeah, his sort of speed and and energy can can lift Borough. So I think he's going to be a key player, if only as a, a sort of impact substitute. But yeah, um, I think Borough will be okay. Yeah, I, I'm with Nancy. I think they, I imagine they'll be in the playoff picture for sure. Uh, the maddest of props, by the way, to their club doctor, Tom Pritchard, who for the second time this season helped save the life of a fan taken ill at a game. After performing CPR on a Newcastle fan during their game against Spurs earlier this season, Dr Tom came to the aid of a Blackburn supporter who required emergency medical attention during Monday's game. That supporter is now in a stable condition. Uh, elsewhere, 27,500 packed into the city ground. I was amongst them to see Forest sweep aside beleaguered, depleted Barnsley. Keenan Davis got his first Reds goal. Ryan Yates and Brennan Johnson also scored. Takes on Williams, knocks Williams out of the way, goes into the penalty area, squares it back for Johnson, who rolls it inside the far post. Oh, what a goal! Paul Taylor of The Athletic reporting on Thursday morning that Johnson is likely to stay at Forest now. Brentford have been trying to pinch him throughout the window, but it looks as though he'll be a Forest player at least until the end of the season. Uh, Clarky, this was a, such a strange experience for me because Forrest scored a goal and I thought, well, we're just going to go on and win this game quite comfortably. And that's that's what happened. I don't think in my 30 years of going to the city ground has there ever been such such little jeopardy on a game. Very unsettling. It was all very professional, wasn't it? Yeah, after the sort of euphoria of the derby win, it would have been easy to, to be to be really flat. What, what I found interesting here was that even though it was a comfortable win... Steve Cooper didn't do the whole fist bump thing at the end, did he? He wasn't punching any air. He said that his team can be a lot better. And again, that's, that's absolute classic out of the manager's handbook, isn't it? Beat a, beat a bad team, uh, even though it's pretty professional and it's hard to fault. You, you just leave something with the players to say, well, it wasn't that good. I'm not that happy and we can do better. It's, it's, yeah, it's right out of the textbook from Cooper. Um, so well done to him on that. But yeah, no, it was, it was a good... Good solid win. I know that the uh, strong first half, Spence and Johnson, again, that combination, just dynamite, isn't it, down the right. And on Brendan Johnson and Forrest, under no circumstances could Nottingham Forest owners be forgiven for selling Brendan Johnson in this window. It, it would be criminal, absolutely criminal. Even if they were offered, I don't know, double his value, you can't do it now. Because Forest have not been in this position under this good a manager for a while. And they've not had this much momentum going into the, the, the push for a while. And um, although you could say that they did under Labrucci, but it feels like this is your strongest chance of going up in many, many years. Sell Brennan Johnson now. That dream dies, in my opinion. So they have to resist. And then by the sounds of it, they are. Yeah, it looks like Lyle Taylor might be off. They possibly to... Birmingham. Uh, Barnsley tried to get this game called off after they said they only had 12 fit players. Poyer Asbagi didn't attend because he had COVID symptoms. I was amused by their supporters and their gallows humour. You know, we've all heard we've lost the ball. How must you be? It's only 2-0. But for them to get a free kick 20 yards from goal dead centre and their supporters to chant it's going wide repeatedly <laughs> uh, which it duly did uh, I particularly enjoyed. Um, Nancy, you've written about their their plight recently. It's, it's actually a similar story to the other clubs under the Pacific Media Group portfolio who own Barnsley, isn't it? They're all on a bit of a downturn at the moment. 
Yeah, it's um, it's a tricky one for them, actually. I think pretty much all of the teams are underperforming compared to last season, either quite dramatically or just a a few places below. So it's definitely kind of caused some concern with bouncy fans that I've spoken to just because they're starting to ask the question about whether the model works, basically, the kind of money ball... Billy Bean obviously is involved in, in a small way uh, in Bounsley, but that sort of like data-driven model, I mean, they they get the players and they get the managers to suit the style that they wanted to play. They've slightly tweaked the style that they were playing and I think they're quite open about the fact that Marcus Shop's appointment didn't quite work at the start of the season. So it's interesting. They, you know, they were so effective last year, but then there were five subs and everything seemed to click and yeah it doesn't look good for them basically you know it when you're um being leapfrogged in the table by a team deducted 21 points it does rather tell the full story doesn't it yeah it's not a good look um Coventry happier though after going six without a win they've won three of their last four in all comps the latest came against Stoke by a goal to nil we'll talk Stoke a little bit later on Coventry wise though Clarkie four points two games in hand off the playoffs I mean do you think that they can do it I guess they need to get Jokerez backfiring like they did here this was his first goal since the start of October yeah, 14 games, wasn't it, without a goal for, for him. But he was really good in the game. I, th- I think that Coventry deserved it. I don't think it was a classic, but but Coventry were the, were the better team. I think I think they, they have to be considered one of the most solid teams in the championship. Really, really like the, the back three of Haim, McFadzen and, and Clark Salter. They sort of just know what they're doing, Coventry. They're not flashy. They're not that... It's not that silky to watch. It's not thrilling, but they're really efficient in in what they in what they do, and they've got good players. I mean, off the bench in this game, Waghorn and Calamo here were introduced, which shows that they've got a bit of bit of depth. I think they made a difference. They've just signed Bidwell, haven't they, at left left wing back? Um, but they've also uh, re-signed, I think, Ian Matson from Chelsea on loan. So he's another one that will compete with Bidwell for that position. So they're starting to get two strong players in each in each position, Coventry City. They've got a really uh, good coaching team as well. So I think that they can keep chipping away at the at the points tally and, and potentially sneak into the last playoff spot. I, I don't think that they'll cruise into it. I think they might be in, you know, in fifth or sixth position come the end of the season. And that would be sensational because it's, it just still feels like five minutes ago I was watching them v Nos County in a play League Two playoff semi final. It's yeah, we take for granted what's what's sort of happened there. It's been pretty meteoric, and uh, yeah, progress every single season. Some miserable news to report from that game. Sadly, though, a Coventry supporter arrested for allegedly racially abusing a Stoke player during the warm up. Uh, elsewhere in the midweek championship games, 2-2 between Birmingham and Peterborough. As we've been saying, and Nancy's been reporting, St Andrews not a happy place just now with all the unrest off the pitch. But but what this did, Nancy, it's not a particularly impressive result, albeit they scored twice in the last five minutes, but it does take some pressure off that, that weekend game against Derby because they've taken four points from, from the last two this weekend and they're far enough away from the relegation zone for that to be a real concern, surely. Yeah, you'd think so. Um, I am just the misery reporter, I think, by the way, at the, uh, <laughs> the Athletic. But, um, but no, yeah, I, I think it does just give them that bit of um, breathing room, doesn't it? But I suppose, again, it's it's one of those where, um, you know, you wonder how much of the off-field circus is sort of impacting the on-field stuff. And 
and there are reasons that are very, I think, justifiable that the fans aren't aren't happy at Birmingham. And it was one of those where when they played Bounsley at the weekend, it was kind of like two pro- protesting sets of fans coming together. And um, it'll be interesting to see actually what what happens at Derby because it feels like the Derby fans have really come out fighting this season because they've had to to lift the team. And then, you know, Blues fans are, uh, you know, grumbling, which is absolutely, I think, fair enough. So whether that'll have a have a say in things I don't know but I, I do think they're probably just just far enough away from danger there really yeah I think the home games are where they're going to protest because it's so obvious because of the stadium issues because you know, parts of the ground are empty and, and the, the the you know the people running the club are actually there present I think they're just taking that opportunity to get in their face aren't they to to let them know how they feel quite you know it's quite brave of, of, of some of the guys to to, to turn up actually for that game at the weekend um, but yeah it was um, yeah not not a great mood it is funny isn't it when you think that Derby fans have probably got more more to moan about in in many senses they're, they're certainly concentrating their efforts on the team yeah because their owner Scarpet is nowhere to be seen despite the fact that he still owns the ground and the training ground uh, elsewhere in the championship Luton beat Bristol by two goals to one Luton six points off the playoffs with two games in hand and QPR and Swansea Played out a drab, goalless draw. Uh, if we go into League One, Ipswich maybe going to make that late run for the playoffs. We all dismissed as as whimsy. They won two 0 at Wimbledon on Tuesday, within five points of the playoffs. Wes Burns got both. Over on the right-hand side, one-on-one with Guinness Walker. Burns inside the area to finish it off. He's still got it. Burns! And it's into the net! And it's Wes Burns with another goal. It's certainly Burns night at Plough Lane. Abby says, sadly, he seems to be into NFTs, but I think in Ipswich that probably means nice effing tractor rather than (laughs) non-fungible token. Um, So that's all good, isn't it? Um, yeah, Adrian, how many times did we say Ipswich, they're too far away to do anything about this? It, their managerial change seems to have been a masterstroke, albeit still only early days. It's going well, isn't it? Yeah, this was this was a pretty professional win. Did Not a pretty game, I don't think. Not, not loads of chances, but they sort of, they got there, didn't they? I think, yeah, they've got so much quality running through their team. They, they changed the entire front three for the game, didn't they? They just from the from the weekend, the win against Accrington, front three out, the next next lot in, and and that shows how much strength they've got, how much sort of power they've got from the bench. So that's a massive advantage over the majority of their rival teams. They're, they're capable of playing some really good football, loads of possession, probably just not enough clear clear chances in this game and in in, in others as well. So so yeah, it's just a matter of getting that fluency going, opening up teams a little bit more frequently. Um, but they've got the class, haven't they? No doubt about that. I think obviously they, 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 they're going to have to do without Morsi, aren't they, who got a four-game ban. That was interesting, sort of retrospective video punishment. Felt a little bit a little bit harsh to me. But but yeah, no, Ipswich are 100% in with a chance of the playoffs. Um, and if they get into the playoffs... They might even be the favourites to to go up from there. I, I think actually, given where they were earlier on in the season, this is this is quite impressive because they were in a bit of a state, weren't they? Yeah, Wimbledon not looking so good. Just to point outside the relegation zone, not won in the league since early December, and they sold Ollie Palmer to Wrexham, who scored for them on Tuesday night. Wimbledon banked three hundred grand 
for that. Uh, got a feel for the Plymouth supporters who made the 11-hour round trip to Fleetwood only to see their team throw away a 3-1 lead, conceding in the 89th and 92nd minutes to draw 3-3. Nancy, you spoke to Stephen Schumacher for The Athletic earlier this month. Uh, in what kind of mood did you find him? It was a, a job that he couldn't refuse, he said. Yeah, um, I mean, when I spoke to him, they'd just lost at Sheffield Wednesday and he was bitterly disappointed. Like, uh, genuinely, considering what he was about a month and a bit in, I've never seen a manager so disappointed just off the back of one defeat. But he seemed to have taken it really hard. And I, I think that's probably a good thing <laughs> because, you know, he'll he'll learn from that and get, you know, the most he can out of his players. But um but yeah, it it seemed like he it was a job basically he couldn't turn down and I think he's he's still on good terms with Ryan Lowe. He still called him his best mate and said he'd go for a pint with him. So that's you know, as as good as manager and assistant manager sort of divide uh, splits go. But um but yeah it's um I think they're just in a bit of a tricky patch, aren't they? No wins in three, I think. And um earlier in in the season, obviously there was that spell just before Ryan Lowe went where they sort of went through a, a tricky patch. I, I imagine that they'll kind of maybe just go through spells like that. I know they started so well, but compared to teams like Ipswich or, you know, even Sheffield Wednesday where the the money's there or the squad depth is there and you kind of expect that, I suppose that might be where. Sorry, that's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, literally running around I'm trying to talk about Plymouth sorry you guys go <laughs> Clarkie I'm sure you've been in, in this position before in Fleetwood's position i.e. struggling near the bottom of the table it's, it's, it's not even so much about the point gained is it it's the shot in the arm from proving that you can you can have that late fight back that, that'll get them bouncing through training for the rest of the week I assume you'd have thought so yeah it's it's a great comeback it'll feel like a a win, won't it, for, for Fleetwood, who keep coming up with these late goals, don't they? Pilkington again, he's been a bit of a sort of talismanic figure for them. Yet another set-piece goal, I keep going on, banging on about it. 16 now for Fleetwood. Thank goodness for, for corners and wide free kicks. But yeah, I, I like what Craney is doing. I think he's made a good impact. He's sort of revamped the team with some, with some signings. There's a lot more younger players. When it was Joey Barton's era, they were a better team. Okay, they played better football. They were flying high, largely, but they had sort of big name players from a higher level that were coming down to play for them. What they're doing now is is building a younger group of players, drawing on the academy, and and building for the future. Really, I think, and and that's that's a sensible way to go about things. They've obviously just sold Hill, haven't they, for a million pounds? So. It's already proved to be quite a profitable policy. I wonder whether Paddy Lane might be the next sort of one to move on in a year or two. He's only 20, eight assists this season, and he scored a absolute beauty in this in this game into the top corner. So, so they've got another real real quality young player there as well. No, I think Paddy Lane is in their ears and in their eyes or whatever the, the lyrics to Penny Lane are. So they'll be um, be hanging on to him for a little bit longer. Uh, now then, MK Dons have got a five-point buffer between themselves and the playoff chases after winning at Burton. Who better to tell us about that and everything Milton Keynes than the manager, Liam Manning? We'll be hearing from him next. Oh, well, Liam, important win against Burton on Tuesday. Scoreline might only have been 1-0, but the stats suggest you very much deserved the three points. Uh, you must be must be pleased with the way that things are going. To put it mildly, it's been a, been a dream start to your time at MK Dons. 
Yeah, I think referencing the game on uh, Tuesday, the lads were terrific. I have to say, I think in terms of performances, it was it was definitely right up there in in you know what what we want to look like as a team and as a club. I thought you know we huge elements of control, real threat, created a lot of chances, uh, looked solid out of possession. Uh, just the final bit that was what we were lacking the other night. Um, but obviously to to nick a winner at the end, you know, thoroughly deserved by the lads for me. It was obviously a, a little bit sweeter in terms of feeling. So, yeah, delighted, obviously, to get the win and, and, and get back to it after uh, after the game against Donny. Uh, it's January, so I'm, ob- I'm obliged to ask you about transfers, uh, I'm afraid. Are you pretty happy with, with the business that's been done overall? Because obviously you had, you had a few key exits, but you've also been able to, to get some new faces in as well. Yeah, and no, I think we've done some good business. I think we, we still have more to do, definitely from that perspective. But, you know, I think when, when you look at it and how, how the group's done and uh, I come back to the players we've got here and I think, you know, sometimes so much energy goes externally that, you know, I think really important in January, we still, you know, really focus and concentrate on what we've got in the building. And I think, you know, you see that the other night, uh, the quality, the, you know, the togetherness, the team spirit that we, that we do have here. And I think it's, it's really important that we add the right people to it as opposed to just panicking and going and getting any players. So, I think we're obviously doing a huge amount of work behind the scenes to go and get the right, firstly, the right person that fits our culture that we're looking for. And then the, the right players that can support, uh, you know, the group in terms of what we need and, uh, you know, hopefully help us kick on. A really, really swift work in terms of replacing Andrew Fisher, Matt O'Reilly with, with Jamie Cumming and, and Connor Coventry. Um, Max Waters went as well, but Connor Wickham came in from nowhere and a lot of people were, I, I suppose, viewed that as a, as a slightly left field signing, a player of real pedigree. And what was you thinking in in terms of bringing him in? He's he's clearly got a lot of ability, but hasn't had much action. No, me, me and Connor go back a long, long way. I actually, when I very my first coaching year many many years ago, he was an under thirteen at Ipswich with me. So I, I'd known Connor a long, long time, um, and obviously you tend to follow people's journeys. So he got I got made aware that he was available. Um, he'd obviously left Preston, so he was one that um, we actually had him to train for a little bit to see where he's at. Uh, he'd obviously had a hamstring injury at the start of the year. Um, you know, it's one of them we wanted to see where he's at, make sure he's okay. Uh, and to be fair, he's he's had a good impact in the last few games. So he brings a different dimension to the team, a different uh, you know dimension to the attack. He's also got that level of experience of Premier League and the level he's been at. Um, so again, he, he complements in in the young group we've got here with some of the experience and knowledge he has of the game. While we're talking attackers, we're big Scott Twine fans on this show. Uh, how's it been working with him this season? He's, he's been in terrific form for you. Yeah, he's done great. I think first and foremost, I referenced it a minute ago, he's a, he's a terrific person. And I think that that's what helps him progress and get better. You now he's bundles of personality, he's a confident kid as well. And I think, you know, that, that sets him up then to, to improve and progress as a footballer. And I think, you know, I look at him, obviously I get the, the joy of working with him every day and you, you, you see the progress that he has made. I think over the course of the season and you know, credit to him and the staff for the work that's gone into that. Uh, you know, it's not by luck or chance that he, he delivers consistently. That's, you know, hours and hours of practice, hour and hour of video work is, you know, treating him right, giving him the confidence to go and, you know, express himself. So he's, he's been great. You know, the challenge now is to, you know, can he keep it up for the next 18? He knows how to shoot, that's for sure. Scott Twine, <laughs> love his goals. Um, yeah, just, just a really entertaining player. To watch, I think, one of the best in, in League One. Um, really fascinated by your loan signing, uh, Theo Corbiano. I saw him in the flesh at Sheffield Wednesday and he was outstanding. Yeah, he was in and out of their team and often used as a, as a wing-back. And it it kind of baffled me a little bit. I see that you brought him in, immediately put him in a slightly higher position. I mean, there are a few better players than him, I'd imagine, at beating a man on the outside than him. He's, he's terrific. 
Yeah, he's, he's slotted in really well. He, uh, actually, we, we really liked him when we played up there. He caused us some problems. Uh, you know, in the midweek game when we lost up there, he, he, he was a he was a real threat and we noticed a 1v1 and it was something we felt that the, the team was lacking a little bit, some some dribblers, some 1v1 attacking type players. And, you know, again, I think it it shows what we're about, I think, a bit as a club in terms of, you know, we don't, we're not bundles of depth and, you know, huge resources to go and sign everybody. And I think that, that that's the key when you look at it from that perspective, what we what we're able to do is provide an opportunity and a platform for you know for young players like that with huge potential to, to you know to go and express themselves, to go and deliver what they can, um, and you know ultimately uh, continue to improve uh, and show them elements in, in the game. When you're trying to convince a player, particularly a young player, to to come and join you either on loan or permanently, do you think that the style of play and the philosophy that that, that is at the club? Is beneficial because I know for one that if I was still playing, I would I would I, I would rather play for for an MK Dons than a Gilligan for sure in terms of the style of play. Do you, do you find that helpful? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think um, there's numerous things. It's not. Just, I, th- I think that the club has a you know a history and uh, of providing opportunities. You look at me obviously being appointed as well. I think that that's what we're quite clear on in terms of our identity and you know what we're about is. It's about providing opportunity for young players. It's about providing opportunity for young staff, and the, and the culture is built on that. And I think that 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 then kind of shapes in terms of some of the style and how we can play, uh, because we are providing them opportunities, and uh, you know we're not expecting the finished articles all the time. So I think that shapes our recruitment. It then shapes you know element of how we play. We can bring in young, exciting players that um, you know can can play a certain style. And I think that's the biggest thing that we work hard to do is you know give them the confidence to actually go and do that. Uh, and you know when you when you look at you know, Matt O'Reilly, who's obviously gone off to Celtic, what it what it further enhances is that we actually you know we've, we we're a really good club for young players to come to play a certain style and to you know to progress their game. And I think that's the you know the biggest thing for us then is to make sure that the team progresses at the same rate. An attractive proposition, obviously, for young coaches too, um, which is why why you're there. I want to talk a little bit about your your route into being a League One manager because it's it's fascinating. You, you retired early, didn't you, as a player, and and then you spent time in America and Belgium as well as elsewhere. You know, here in, at Ipswich and West Ham as well. I just wondered how influential was those two periods abroad in terms of shaping your your coaching style because it's it's something that's quite unusual for people in your position now. I like the word retired. I never really got started to retire, I don't think. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think the abroad experience was terrific. I think in terms of, I think what it really does is it, I, I found massively in terms of just the personal element, in terms of how do I adapt to a new culture? How do I, how do I adapt to fit in with people? Um, especially in New York. New York, we were 42 nationalities within the academy, players and staff. So how, how, do, you, how do you understand people's backgrounds? I think it, what, it, what it further opens you up to is the importance of the person. And I think that it was always something for me that was really important anyway, which is why I got into coaching to help people to progress and to develop and, and see behaviour change as, as much as, you know, football change. And I think that what it does going abroad is, is kind of how do you communicate differently to people and, and get buy-in? And I think they're, they're some of the key things that it kind of exposed me to. And then the one in Belgium was, was massive on culture. That, that was more probably circumstance that the club had just been bought out. They're just literally on the brink of bankruptcy. So it was starting from scratch. So it's not actually too often you get the opportunity to build a culture. So we worked, uh, number one for me there going in was how do we you know, create the foundations and, the, and a culture of development, but also results driven. Because I think that's the, the way I look at it, you know, even here now is that we want to win matches, we want to do as best we can, but at the same point, developing and getting better is, it has to be fundamental to that. So hence, you know, the group we've got in terms of staff and players, it, pivotal to us is, is a culture that we have there. Uh, you got Wickham on, on Saturday. 
They're calling it the Battle of the Bucks on their social media. Are, are you telling your players that this is a big derby game that they need to be up for, or is that not the kind of approach that you go for? I think I think for me it's, it's one of them. Of course, we res- we respect the game, but at the same point, it's it's another ninety five minutes against a you know a really difficult opposition. Um, I think actually looking at it, I think there's a huge number of similarities between us and Wickham in terms of. You know, I think when you look at it from a budget perspective, we're we're both probably punching above where where we should be, arguably. I think you then look at it, and I think Gareth's done a terrific job uh, in terms of recruiting the right people, creating the right culture, having a real clear identity. And I think that's where I look at it, and there's so many similarities, you know, between us and them uh, from that angle. So, it's it's another big game that you know ultimately we you you prepare, you get ready in the, in the same way for me. It's a big game in terms of the the league positions as well. We've been guilty on this podcast of talking about it being two from four at the top end of the table for the automatics, but you guys aren't far away. And if you beat Wickham, you're very much, you know, part part of a five then, aren't you? Yeah, I said it from day one. For me, it's not about getting carried away. We We don't concentrate too much on it. I think it's taking it game by game. I think there's, you know, you, there's also that level of realism. There's so many big clubs with such big budgets in terms of uh, what we're competing against. I think, that, you know, what we then have to do is, you know, why have we got to where we're at? It's actually, you know, a real strong culture and, you know, a terrific group of players and lads that are, are turning up each week and, and giving their, you know, their maximum to it. So I think it's it's not getting too carried away with everything. It's actually going, right, what's helped us get to where we're at? And, and you know, just continually look to improve and get better. I think that's probably the most important thing for me rather than, looking at teams around us that we're competing against is just con- concentrate on the, on the game at the weekend and see, see where we end up. And Liam, we're very grateful for your time. We always finish with a, a super serious, difficult question to really test you. So here's yours. Having experienced both cultures, what do you prefer, a Belgian waffle or a New York strip steak? Oh, it's a tough question. I, I think I'm going for the waffle, to be totally honest. <laughs> Definitely the waffle, but the beer with it, I think I liked in Belgium just as much. <laughs> what are you topping your waffle with? Uh, uh, did you know the plain ones are actually the best ones but but warm I'm, I'm keeping it quite plain right. nothing wrong with that uh, listen all the best for Saturday and for the rest of the season thanks again for joining us we really appreciate it appreciate it cheers thanks a lot Liam Manning MK Don's Don there uh, the other midweek game in League One doesn't deserve much attention. Gillingham nil, Shrewsbury nil, and that's all I've got to say about that, really. Uh, in League Two, some ludicrously long journeys this week. Best part of a seven-hour round trip on a Tuesday in January for Bristol Rovers fans, but they won't have minded too much given that their team won 3-2 at Scunthorpe. And therefore, Adrian, it gives us a chance to say something positive about Bristol Rovers. Their first away win since the end of October. They're up to 13th. We haven't been very kind about, well, particularly their manager, but but them generally this season. So we ought to ought to give them some praise here. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, they're, they're definitely heading in the right direction, aren't they? Um, started to to produce some, some decent results. And it was a nice little story, wasn't there, with Leon Clark scoring what turned out to be the winner. Because his goal... Where he rounded the keeper, made it three 0 and you thought, well, that's you know that's just a routine goal. But because of the two late ones from Scunthorpe, it turned out to be really crucial. And yeah, early on in the season, Leon Clark, obviously a veteran now, had a horrific hamstring injury that that, that forced him into thinking about retirement. There was there was a uh, yeah there was discussions: is it worth having an operation to come back? But he's knuckled down and. 
and look, he's got his moment in the sun. Well, not not very sunny up in Scunthorpe on a Tuesday night, but he's got his he's got his moment in the in the spotlight there. Had a had a great moment, and uh, yeah, in, in general, I think well, three wins from four for Bristol Rovers, definitely heading on an upward trajectory. Probably too late for the playoffs, but the pressure pressure has eased on Joey Barton. So we'll, yeah, we'll lay off him this week. Uh, over then to the Athletics Misery correspondent, Nancy <laughs> Frostick, who can tell us about Scunthorpe, because there's a bit of a gap between beginning to appear at the bottom of the table and, and things are going bad off the pitch too. Yeah, um, not very sunny at all in Scunny, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, six points now, isn't it? And um, I think... I saw on, on Twitter, actually, and I can't remember the, the account to credit them properly, but um, it was like a Scunthorpe fan account. And, and they basically worked out that to stay up or, you know, keep pace and stay up, um, they need sort of top nine form, basically, over the rest of the 19 games of the season. I think they've won five in 46 or something before that. So, I mean, Keith Hill's good, but, um, you know, <laughs> that's quite the challenge. They've, they've got some players in, they've got, you know, players that they they've needed in um like I think they've got Luke Matheson in uh, Liam Feeney Burns obviously scored two in that game um on loan from Blackburn but yeah it's um it's a rate of picking up points that I don't think Scunthorpe have probably done for about three seasons three and a half seasons is it so it's not looking good for them um so more doom and gloom from me, I'm afraid. <laughs> Do you know what? Then I'm, I'm going to shed a little array of light just just through those those gloomy clouds. Right, this isn't anything to do with the football. But look at the fixture list. They are at home to seven of the bottom nine between now and the end of the season. They've played everyone away that 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 should be considered a rival. They actually only won one of those games, but also lost only one of them. Um, drawing six in those away games. So they turn those draws into wins at home. They they could pick up some some precious points. So Destiny is still kind of in their own hands because the other teams at the that bottom end of the table would would, you know, kill for for those fixtures at home. They've just got to sort out their home form, haven't they? Uh hopefully the the Iron fans can sort of uh, get behind them and uh, yeah and give them Give them some momentum because at the moment they they just have zero momentum. Well, one of the teams they might think that they can reel in, Nancy, a Barrow who were beaten two 0 by Salford. Gary Bowyer keeps getting a result just when he needs one, but but Barrow seven points clear of the relegation zone, but only won two of their last sixteen. So that's got to be a side that that Scunthorpe and Oldham are targeting. You think, wouldn't you? And um, obviously, Colchester are kind of maybe in that discussion of also being. Not exactly a crisis club, but you know, I think they're sort of they've not had a, the easiest season, have they? So, um, yeah, I imagine you know you you've got to be hunting those those teams down if you are Oldham and, and Scunthorpe, and yeah, if you're Barry, you're probably nervously looking behind rather than up at this particular point of the season. But I think you know that's the luxury of League Two is that only two will go down, and with the way things are going, you know, it's it's normally the kind of two most crisis-y, if that's a word, uh, clubs of a particular season. Um, and on that basis, you'd, you'd think um, Barrow will be OK. But yeah, they might want to put a little run together just to make sure. Uh, elsewhere in League 2, New- Newport are into the automatic promotion places after they won 1-0 
at Leighton Orient. Really dreadful goal for, for Orient to concede this. We used to talk about them as bound for the playoffs. Well, they're 14th, nine points off them at the moment, so they're going to need to have a big late run. Uh, Bradford threatening to do just that. Three wins in five for them after a 2-1 victory at Walsall. And that was about it for the midweek action. After this, we'll talk some news and notes. We all enjoy the sport we call the beautiful game. But since I've retired, I've discovered an ugly, even darker side to the sport we love. Join me as Jamie Redknapp investigates. Thanks, Jamie. We'll take it from here. Join Jamie Redknapp for Jamie Investigates, the football mockumentary series. Watch on Paddy Power's Twitter. This week, Jamie Investigates, Twitter trolls. Do you know the truth? Paddy Power. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 18plusbegambleware.org You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. A couple of things to talk about since we last chatted on Monday. Grant McCann sacked as we expected. Where's his next move? Uh, Nancy, I've got him pegged for the Sheffield Wednesday job next season if they don't go up. Yeah, I reckon that's a safe bet, actually. It's it's funny, some of the Wednesday fans are really not happy with how things are going anyway, so they'd probably accept that change now. But um, but yeah, I think, yeah, Wednesday or somewhere like Wigan or, yeah, if they don't go up, maybe. But yeah, I like that. Is it, I like is, that call. Is it League One he's looking at, Clarkie, do you think? Or has he done enough in, in the last few weeks to, to get a kind of lower... And championship job, not that any of those seem to be immediately available. And he wouldn't want to go to Barnsley, for example, would they, if they changed again? I think his stock should be quite high, really. I, th- I, I was been really impressed with what he's done at Hull City in difficult times because he never had the backing, did he, of, of the, uh, the previous ownership. They, they basically stopped pumping the money in. So he, he had to work with what he, what he had and be creative to a certain degree. And they played good football. He made excellent loan signings. Yeah, results were sort of up and down. But yeah, I th- I think I, I think it's a really harsh hacking. I don't think he deserved it. But but this is what happens when when new new owners come in. So in his shoes, I would hold out for. Well, I'd take a championship job if it came up or a really ambitious league one club where maybe they lost their manager to, to a high level and he could, he could slot in. I, I don't think he should aim any lower than that. He's yeah. He's someone that I really like. He's such, so bold, so adventurous. And in this current, current climate where young managers are in vogue, where the style of play seems to be really, really important to owners and chairmen, I think he will be on the radar of, of plenty because his football is yeah, it's 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 not always winning football, but it's quite it's quite exciting to watch more often than not. Not always, but more often than not. 
Or maybe Derby will be in League One and looking for a new manager next season. He could go there. The latest on their story, the EFL and the administrators have agreed a month-long extension to the deadline set for proof of funding to be provided. The EFL originally wanted evidence they can actually finish this season on the 1st of Feb. In a statement, they also say this gives time to seek clarity on the claims from Middlesbrough and Wickham. Will this ever end, I wonder? Uh, Let's move on to some transfers because I think we're all a bit bored of talking about Derby. Jack Clark to Sunderland. Uh, I quite quite like this, um, Nancy, because they've got him and Patrick Roberts, who are both two kind of people who are supposed to be destined for the top at the Premier League. Roberts has been farmed out on loan here, there and everywhere. Clark, £10 million Spurs paid to take him from Leeds and he's barely kicked a ball so it's kind of Lee Johnson trying to trying to provide a redemption story for these two promising players yeah it's interesting isn't it and I feel like um a club like Sunderland I suppose you either you sink or you swim maybe I don't know that they're obviously going well this season but it's a massive club and it's got everything about it where if you're up for it you know you, you can make a massive impact I think so It'll be interesting to see how they get on because, yeah, to be honest, like if you'd have asked me yesterday or the day before where Jack Clark was, I, I mean, I'd probably said still at Spurs somewhere, but I mean, like I wouldn't have registered, you know, so it's um, probably an important move for him just to, yeah, get some football and stuff. When you think about the money they paid for him, £10 million, it's only two and a half years ago. He's not scored a goal since. He's not scored since he was at Leeds. So it, it's sort of a lesson as well, isn't it? Because he he was very much in favour under Marcelo Bielsa and then kind of head was turned, really, and made that jump. It's hard to say no. If a club like Spurs want to pay £10 million for you, you, you kind of got to go, I suppose. But yeah, it's a lesson, isn't it, for, for, for players that are loving their football on the way up, maybe not to go too soon. I, th- I think that is it. In hindsight, he would he would for his career he'd have been better off staying at Ellen Road, wouldn't he? So, um, and if he had done, he wouldn't be knocking around for low moves in League One. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, he'd probably be a regular uh, for Leeds this season, given their injury problems. Uh, elsewhere, Nick Miller's been speaking with Benneke Phobe. He's currently at Millwall on loan from Trabzon Sport. Uh, the headline sums it up nicely. Leaving England, let me grieve for my daughter in peace with my family. I'm enjoying football again. Well worth the read to find out how Phobe's coping and opening up about his mental health with his teammates. Uh, remember, you can read all of Nancy's pieces, Nick's and the many other brilliant EFL articles on The Athletic. And you can get a third off the price of a subscription by going to theathletic.com slash show. Okay, next up, we'll look ahead to the key fixtures this weekend. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. So in the championship, we're going to have a look at Huddersfield against Stoke. They get things underway on Friday night. Huddersfield in the final playoff play. Stoke six points behind them in 11th. So big game, this one. Uh, Nancy, Huddersfield unbeaten in eight in the final playoff place, but still not many people expecting them to go up or maybe even maintain it. They're 25 to one to get promoted with Paddy Power. Are we not paying them enough respect or, or are we just all expecting this kind of natural regression based on the fact that, I don't know, what they don't have a, a natural goal scorer, they don't score as many as the other teams up there? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um, I can't say I'd have thought about them being in the playoffs at the start of the season, but 
yeah, I mean, they're there on, on merit. And so it's not that long to go. It's kind of worth taking them seriously. I, I possibly don't think they'll still be there just because I think other teams maybe are obviously stronger than than I think Huddersfield might be. But yeah, I mean, Carlos Corbin's doing a good job. Um, we did one of our big misery pieces on Huddersfield last season, I think it was. And, um, you know, what, what a turnaround since. And he, you know, we're talking about young managers kind of in vogue. I mean, he's one who's he's worked obviously under Bielsa at Leeds. I think he's worked with Pep Guardiola before. He's gone in. Um, I think he, he did an interview with uh, Richard Sutcliffe on The Athletic and and said about the importance of kind of changing the mentality of not just accepting defeats. And so, you know, it, it looks like it's an appointment that's gone well, having maybe been questioned at the start when, when they sort of went for that move and definitely at a point since. But yeah, it's uh, maybe we should be talking about them more seriously. We're, we're overlooking them and being a bit disrespectful to, to Huddersfield. As for Stoke, Adrian, I mean, they, they've never really got out of the funk of relegation, have they? 2018, that was. And they haven't looked like getting back since particularly. And here we are, only won two of their last 10. Albeit there are positives in the players coming back to fitness. And they've got a load of new silings as well, haven't they? Harwood, Bellis, Jagielka, Baker and, and Philogene Bidet. So that, that might give them a bit of spark, but they need something because they look very flat. I, I get, Yeah, it must be so infuriating for Stoke fans because it felt like this season they were in a much better position to make that sustained challenge. But here we are in January and they've got half a new team, haven't they? They've effectively started a game. And and they're good players. Howard Bellis, Jagielka, Baker, you know, DiMaggio, Wright-Phillips looks looks a talent, doesn't he? Um, and they've got Nick Powell coming back from injury, haven't they? The goalie, I think, is coming back. Bursic, Romain Sawyers. The other the other night at Coventry, Vrancic and, and Tyrese Campbell were unused subs. They've got loads of good players. It's just finding that that right formula and, and consistency, really, They've lacked consistency throughout the season. One thing that I've noticed is that, well, almost every defeat, 10 of their 11 defeats have been by one goal. So they're close, but not close enough. You turn half of those into draws, five or six more points, they're far closer to the promotion mix, aren't they? So that's what they need to do moving forwards. They also need to get a bit more out of the strikers. Um, I thought Brown and Fletcher formed a really good partnership, but not scoring lots of goals, either of them. You've got Wright Phillips and Campbell, who are huge talents. Someone's got to hit a hot streak, I think, for Stoke to to catapult themselves back into the into the mix. But yeah, it might take a few more weeks for them to get going because if you've got five or six new players in your team, I, I think it's silly to to expect them to click right away. And now then, regular listeners will know of Nancy's expertise in all things owls and thus won't be surprised here that Sheffield Wednesday v Ipswich Town is the League One game we're going to look at. Ninth versus eighth, Wednesday do have games in hand. I want to try and ask you something different, Nancy, other than, oh, they draw too many games. Are they going to get in the playoffs? They never seem to be able to get on the run. But that's the story of the season, right? Pretty much, yeah. Um, Sort of silly mistakes or just disappointing matches and results and yeah but um <laughs> they've got some new signings which I think you know if, if that doesn't sort them out then who knows what will but yeah they've, they've got um Tyrese John Jules on loan from Arsenal and uh, Harley Dean's coming on loan from Birmingham which is massive I think Harley Dean more than than John Jules 
in terms of what they really, really need, um, which is centre-backs. I think they actually have seven centre-backs on their books now, but they've just been ravaged by injuries. So, I mean, they've played Marvin Johnson as a as a, uh, a left-sided centre-back, which is um, is versatility for you, I suppose. That's uh, <laughs> recipe But for it's sort of gone on for, yeah, gone on for a long time, which is just... Um, a bit of a head scratcher. He has done well in some games as well, but it's it's been a bit makeshift at times, I think, and maybe not what, you know, if Darren Moore picked his ideal team, then some of those players won't, won't be featuring. But but yeah, they just need to they need to look more convincing, I think. That that's basically it. As much as the the draws are a frustration, like when I look at other teams like, you know, Rotherham or Wigan or you know, t- teams around the playoffs even, it's they're just a bit more convincing and and when they looked like they had that which was against crew just before christmas and i know crew have not been great but um then they had that massive gap with covid and postponements so it's it's just been a bit bitty what about ipswich we we spoke about them earlier a little bit adrian but this is i, mean, I know they played wickham since mckenna took over but but this is away from home so the biggest test yet of the new manager um I don't know. It's it's a strange Sheffield Wednesday are a strange team to to sort of quantify really. Um, yeah, I don't not sure what sort of, what their style of play is. It's not sort of discernible. It's obviously a test because of the crowd and a test because they've got kind of high profile players. Windass and, and Gregory are really good League One level strikers. I mean they're probably better than that, aren't they? So yeah, it will be a it will be a challenge for them. I think it'll be quite a good football match actually. Um, Ipswich will try and knock the ball around they're catching MK Dons up by the way when it comes to all the passing stats the, the, the sort of passing sequences 10 or more passes in a move average possession build up attacks all of these metrics MK Dons were, were, were way ahead of everyone else but since Kieran McKenna came in that there's that gap is shortened they're, they're knocking the ball around quite quite nicely so yeah I think I think they'll they'll enjoy Hillsborough They'll enjoy the the, the big, it's a big pitch. I remember playing there years ago. It's a big old pitch. I think they'll enjoy that, um, and I think it'd be quite quite a good game to watch between two two sort of fallen fallen giants. But as I said earlier, I I do I do believe this Ipswich squad is capable of mounting a challenge for the playoffs and and sort of joining that that big four that we've been talking about for so long now. And no doubt about the names on the League 2 marquee this weekend, Tranmere and Forest Green. Second versus first, the top two in League 2, etc. Tranmere, seven points behind, probably more fussed about keeping those below at arm's length than, than actually catching FGR. A bit of transfer news from them this week. Liam Feeney, as we mentioned earlier, has left Tranmere to join Scunthorpe, the poor sod. Uh, Tranmere, meanwhile, have turned Josh Hawks' loan from Sunderland into a perm deal. Same with Leo Connor. From Celtic, they're, they're clearly back in Mickey Mellon, aren't they, Adrian? They, they want to go up this season. They got Kane Hemmings in earlier in the month too. Um, the manager will be pleased with that. Oh, definitely, yeah. No, it's, well, it's the best attack, Forest Green against the best defence, isn't it? So it'll be interesting to see, see who comes out on top. I mean, they've been ridiculous at the back. All that was needed was a bit more sort of firepower up top. Charlie Jolly coming in from Wigan has done well and Kane Hemmings obviously is, is really experienced Nevitt was another player that was sort of playing well but not scoring that much so all of a sudden they've got they've got a, a bit of competition up there it's just crazy Tranmere second best team in the division 
No one scored more than four goals. Um, second best team in the division. No one's assisted more than three. It's crazy that they're spreading it out, but but they need more just to 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 sort of rubber stamp their place in that in that top three because it's it's maybe asking a lot of their defence to be as good in the second half of the season. So um, yeah, fascinating game, isn't it? This one often the team with the better defence comes out, you know, in the duel comes out more successfully in the duel against the team with the, with the best attack. But we'll find out, won't we, at the weekend? Yeah, I, I don't expect it to be a classic, but it'll be hard for A draw for FGR, Nancy, would be, I guess, pretty acceptable for them, given that they'd keep Tranmere at the same distance and, and maintain their place way ahead of everybody else. But that's not really in their makeup, is it? This is a team that hasn't lost in the league since the start of October. So they'll they'll be coming here to win, one would imagine. Yeah, it, I mean, they're making sure this season, aren't they? After not doing so in, in you know, the last two, isn't it? Or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're a really interesting team. I like them a lot. I spoke to um to Ebu Adams actually, who's obviously away at Afcon with uh, with the Gambia, which is they're going cracking, you know, really exciting team, lowest ranked, and then through to the quarters. They've got some really exciting young players. Um, obviously Rob Edwards doing a good job, and I think we'd kind of talked about Matty Stevens being one to watch as as you know a striker that higher clubs might come in and, and look at, and they've just uh, signed a new deal, so he's just signed a new deal with them. Sorry. Which is really important to tie him down. He's young. Um, he's he's not. I don't think necessarily like the the easiest on the eye in terms of what he does. Like he's not a, a pretty <laughs> player, but he's he's bagging those goals and he's working in tandem really well um, with Jamil Matt as part of Matt Attack. And yeah, they're they're an exciting team to watch. I think I'd be surprised to see him slip away now. Well, they've not lost since October the 9th. I, I remember the game they lost because uh, it was against Swindon, wasn't it? And McCurdy, I think, was was influential for, for Swindon. That was October the 9th. That's a long, long time ago. And they've not lost on the road yet. So their only defeats have come actually at the new lawn. So, so yeah, the, the, they're ticking every box, aren't they, for, for champion material. But but this will be this will be their hardest game yet. All right, let's bring in producer Abby, who's going to give us some odds on those matches we've just spoken about with Paddy Power. Abby, do you think? Thanks, Matt. Yep, we're going to begin at Huddersfield versus Stoke, where Huddersfield are the very slightest of favourites in this one. They are 29 to 20, Stoke 15 to 8, and the draw 11 to 5. If you fancy Danny Ward to continue his goal scoring form, he is a 21 to 10 anytime goal scorer. As for those outrights, uh, it is worth noting that uh, to make the playoffs, Huddersfield are so far down. Uh, Coventry 3-1, to one, granted they're in there, but Sheffield United 6-4, to four, Middlesbrough 6-4, to four, all above. Even Forest at 10-3 to three are above Huddersfield to, to make the playoffs, even Stoke at 7-2. to two. So yeah, it's it's quite baffling. It might be worth uh, thinking about having a little cheeky, I don't know, quid on that um, if if you fancy. If we go to, to League One we've obviously been talking about Ipswich and Clarkey has said that they are 100% in the playoff picture. Well let's go and see what the uh, what Paddy Power is saying in the odds on that. They are actually 
quite far down. They're at two to one to make the playoffs. Sheffield Wednesday above them, seventeen to ten. Those games in hands, quite obviously uh, being put into Paddy's thoughts on this one. Wigan uh, six to four, although we do expect them to perhaps be in the automatics. So uh, Plymouth seven to five, MK Dons eleven to ten, as are Oxford. Those are all above Ipswich at the moment. But let's talk about the match itself happening at Hillsborough and uh, it's Sheffield Wednesday who are the uh, favourites in this one 23 to 20 even the draw is more likely according to Paddy Power than uh, than uh, Ipswich winning the draw is 11 to 5 Ipswich 12 to 5 uh, so possibly worth having an eye on that if you're looking at uh, Ipswich's form and they do top the form table at the moment and our final game takes us all the way up to Tranmere, and uh, it's difficult to know what to do on this one. Tranmere are two to one, Forest Green seven to five, and the draw twenty one to ten. But if you're thinking KG as what Adrian was suspecting might be the case, and you're thinking maybe it could just be a goal, so you're looking at under one point five goals. Paddy are going to give you other odds on two to one on that one. Might be an option for your bet builder. But those are your odds. Thanks, Abby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C supply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, now then, you might have seen Mark Robbins doing four keepy-ups with his hands in his pockets when the ball came to him on the touchline at Coventry on Tuesday. Incredibly impressive stuff. It leads me to ask the question, which EFL manager could beat that? And who would struggle? Who are you picking, Nancy? Now, this is a tricky one, but I would quite fancy Danny Cowley for this. Because, you know, I reckon he was a PE teacher, wasn't he? Time there, stood around, ball at your feet. You can't exactly do too much, but you can stand there and practice a few keeper, please. Um, I, I fancy he might have around the world in him, you know. <laughs> but then... I might be chatting nonsense and, and Mark Robbins might be the one with around the world in him who just decided not to get it out the other <laughs> night. But yeah, Danny Cowley for me. Um, Adrian, I'm guessing Rooney was a contender in your list. Anybody else? I, I could, most men, honestly, four keepy-uppies and we're making a feature. This is ridiculous. I mean, if, it, if he had his 40, hands in his pockets. Honestly, it's not that hard. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's not that hard. Even I could do that. And I'm stiff as a board. Been retired 15 years. Even I could do four keepy-uppies. Um, but, you know, yeah. I think Nigel Clough was one of the silkiest players that I see. When I look through the list of sort of 72 EFL managers, for silks, I think Neil, Nigel Clough is up there. John Sheridan, um, Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones loves... Used to love a little bit of skill flying up and down the wing. He could definitely do a few keepy uppies. I mean, if he if he did it below knee height and he did ten, sort of hopping as he did it with his hands in his pocket, that's when we do a feature, I think. But this is yeah, it's it's it's, it's yeah, it's so easy. Mark Robbins, yeah, it's nothing special. Uh, Abby wants to know, Adrian, who would win between you and Sam in a keepy up competition? <laughs> I don't know actually. Well, I never played with Sam, did I? So. I was pretty good at keepy uppies, I must say. It was, yeah, I was not, I was not good um, at bullying defenders like Sam would have been and holding them off, and and not as good at scoring goals. Certainly not headed goals, but I think I'd back myself to beat Sam in a keepy uppie compo. I remember when when I was a kid, like, a, I know it sounds really big headed, but I, I I did like a couple of thousand, and then and then sort of got a bit. You know, you just get a bit sort of, uh, you lose concentration or whatever. But yeah, I was, 
yeah, I think keepy-uppies aren't hard for players that kick a ball around every day, really. So there you go. Um, Nancy, I'm going to let you answer how many keepy-uppies you can do rather than answer it myself after Clarkie said a couple of thousand. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a couple of thousand. I reckon I can string 20, 25 maybe? A few more? That said, honestly, that, that was when I was about 14. I bet you these days I'd probably, I probably would, I, I would struggle. So yeah, just because of the, 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 yeah, the stiffness of my entire body these days. But yeah, as a kid, <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah, it was good fun. You're going to ask who's, who was bad. I think Steve Cooper would be bad at them. I, I just wouldn't back him. And I think Mark Warburton. I would. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't fancy Mark. Great with numbers, great man manager, excellent sort of organizer of men. But yeah, I think he'd be a bit iffy on the old keepy uppies. Clarkie's baffling campaign against Steve Cooper continues. So I'm going to turn that around and say I pick Steve Cooper to do more <laughs> than four keepy ups. But not only that, I'm going to put him, take him outside the city ground. He can do it on the River Trent because the man can very obviously walk on water. Um, so Steve Cooper on the Trent doing keepy-ups all day as he takes Forrest back to the Premier League. Uh, what a way to end, folks. Many thanks for joining us today. Thanks too to Nancy, to Adrian and to Abby and to Liam Manning as well. We'll speak to you again on Monday when we'll go through all the weekend's action. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. <laughs>